On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the details of the NBA's return to play plan to resume the season in Orlando. We go over what we think the playoff rotation might look like, and also the report that Ime Udoku could be among the front runners for the head coaching job in Chicago. In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Once again, that is lls.org slash bigclimb. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Subscribe to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat for 40% off a yearly subscription. Natural introduction. So many thoughts running around your head right now. You're almost thinking about as much as these NBA players right now. I am in off-season podcasting mode. The problem is we're... It's still the season, kind of. About two months away from the playoffs. Yeah. And uh, did you know that if you were to stay in the bubble the whole time, it would be the same amount of time as from today going backwards to the start of coronavirus, basically, in America? Or not the start. I shouldn't say it. uh, When the NBA shut down. Correct. uh, When our lives truly started to become impacted by it because it was clearly here before that as well. But yeah, that is a, that's a long time when you think about it that way. Yes. Yes, it is. And who knows exactly how long the Sixers will be down there. Um, again, of course, there would be the eight game end of the regular season leading the playoff tournament. Sixers don't need a playoff tournament. They've already clinched a playoff spot. In fact, they've clinched at least the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. I guess some other some other quick dates here. You know, players will report to their markets by June 22nd. Uh, and this is all coming from a combination of either Adrian Wojnarowski or Sham Sharania. So players report to their market June 22nd. June 30th, training camp in market cities can begin. Uh, now, not all teams, I don't believe, will have a training camp up in their market cities. Uh, we haven't heard confirmation yet on whether the Sixers will, but that's when that can start. July 9th through the 29th training camp in Orlando. That would include a couple of preseason games. Uh, The regular season resumption start date has been moved up one day from July 31st to July 30th. Big change there. Change all your plans. And then game seven of the NBA finals as late as October 13th. So like you said, pretty much all of August, September, and half of October in a bubble city for those who will be down there. It is going to be interesting. Now there's been some debate over players in bubble cities, over everybody going down there and playing. 
but there is, you know, there's still basically what I'm saying is whether or not there will be a hiccup between now and October 13th. Um, there's still a lot that has to go right for that to happen, but that is sort of the, um, you know, the rough blueprint that they have laid out so far. Yeah. And I think they're starting to come to grips with what this plan is going to be. And, you know, there's medical protocols that come out in drips and drabs, I would say. It has not been really displayed to the public yet. Like, we, we don't know exactly what this bubble is going to look like. Although, I think in general, like, you're just hearing, like, it's going to be restrictive. And some players are not sure that they want to do it, you know, and that's for a whole bunch of different reasons. That's for, um, you know, is it worth it to not be near your family or anybody else for a couple months if you don't have, you know, a real chance to make a, a championship run? If you make less money, maybe that could be a factor. I think there, you know, there is some level of discussion over you know the recent protests over george floyd's death how, how should they it would be a distraction it would take away yeah. from the moment and the movement yep yep all, all of those things um but it, but it also seems like a big part of it is i'm not sure i want to be in a bubble for six months which to which i say it's completely understandable the i guess the the problem is and i i imagine that's what adam silver and chris paul and all these other people are saying well there's no alternative like, I don't know what the, the other plan is. I mean, there is an alternative. We we don't play. Right. And, and we, we lose. Rip up the collective bargaining agreement and who the hell knows what the NBA looks like after that. Yeah. Yep. And we lose, you know, basically a lot of bargaining power, a lot of money up front. Um, you know, so it's just, it's a tricky situation. And I think uh, when you're looking at Adam Silver, I think a lot of people are starting to question you know, if the NBA can pull this off, I think some of that is natural. Like, I think some of it is when you're a couple months away from executing it, the the plan, the the blueprints, they're easier to talk about. And but then when you actually have to do it with human beings, I think it, there it's it's natural to see some apprehension. Some players saying, "Yeah, is this worth it?" Blah blah blah. Um, I, I still think they're going to do it in one way, shape, or form. Although. You know, there's apparently some players led by uh, Kyrie Irving who are uh, uh, fighting back on that a little bit. So I, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll continue to just monitor how this is going on. But, um, yeah, I think it's been a it's been a tough week for the NBA. Just no real new info. And now it seems like some of the players are starting to get cold feet's probably not the right word. They're starting to question a little bit. I guess, I guess the one thing I would say too is, did you see the video of Trey Young last week in Oklahoma? No, I did not. He's playing in like a packed gym. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see that one. Yep. And, you know, you see some other players working out and I do look at the, uh, the bubble scenario and despite you know, whether Disney workers are allowed to come in or not, a, a general strict bubble, I think there's an argument to be made. Like if you're going to play basketball, that is going to be the safest place for most of these guys in America, unless you're just working out on your own, which I don't know. It doesn't seem realistic that everybody is going to do that. 
Right. Yeah, and at least there you have some kind of control over the surroundings. Um, and like you said, there's a one of the points of contention that came up were Disney employees, resort employees, and whether or not they would be subject to the strict guidelines and the testing and the restrictions of, of being in the bubble, and they would not be, at least according to right now. Um, you talk to a lot of people, and it does seem like you know that is something where they can keep them far enough away from the players and have such limited contact that the risk of that doesn't seem like it's too too high and not something that should shut this whole thing down. Um, but yeah. there's, you know, it's, there's still, you know, you go back to the the way it was phrased, uh, I don't know, it might've been a month ago, might've been a year ago, I don't remember, but a while back where Adam Silver said, you know, basically said like, we have to get comfortable with the fact that there's, you know, there could be a positive result and what do we do then? And you're just reminded that like, there's still different ways this could veer off course. And we'll, I don't know, like you said, we're only sort of getting the, um, you know, the, the, the medical and the safety updates of this in drips and drabs. So I'm sure there's a lot more that we haven't yet heard. I'm sure there's a lot more they have to iron out, you know, but I, I, like you said, I do think they're going to give it a shot and we'll just see. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it'll suck for these guys to not be able to move. I mean, it'll be, it'll be okay. They'll be in a hotel. They can, I mean, I like how they say, uh, you know, they'll be able to golf and it's like, for me, that would be awesome. But like, not, not everybody likes to play golf. That doesn't really do a lot. And for, and the other thing too, is these guys are professional athletes. Golf is tiring as hell. I'm thinking back to the dream team documentary where David Robinson went golfing with Michael Jordan before. And he was like, I'm never doing this again. I can't believe you have the energy to, to play after doing that. So golf just pisses me off on a related note. I'm not very good at golf. So that's probably why it pisses me off. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it pisses a lot of people off. but So, yeah, I, I don't think the uh, the entire league is necessarily uh, – although there, there are some players, you know, like Iguodala and Steph Curry and guys like that. But uh, I don't think that, you know, a nice golf course is going to make everybody else happy. But, look, I, I think it's, it's a very restricted environment. I totally get where they're coming from, where, you know, if we basically you know, have like a restaurant we can go to, we can just walk around this this campus, which, you know, who knows what exactly that's like, you know, even if it's just like a couple parking lots and a there's a bunch of lakes in Orlando. I know that from my last couple of years. Like that that sucks. But I, I think from the NBA standpoint, they're looking back at the uh, at the union and saying, if we could do this any other way, we could. But you know, the, the even with this bubble we still can't guarantee a hundred percent health, but you know, from our standpoint, it's just the best chance to, to get as close to perfect as we can. All right, let's move on a little bit to basketball talk. We, we can talk a little bit about basketball, which is just amazing. You know, one of the things we both sort of wrote about recently a, a little bit is just what we expect the rotation to look like. And, you know, we've sort of discussed this a little bit, uh, in the past with with the starting lineup. But even going beyond that, because I think this year there are some actual sort of rotation question marks that could prop up. So let's, you know, I guess I, more or less, like how deep do you expect Brett Brown to go? Let, let's start off with the, the starting lineup. And, and two-part question, what would you do and what do you think they will do? And look, I want to be crystal clear, I have not gotten a text from Brett Brown yet saying he's going to start Shake Milton. They just hasn't given me that yet. I'm sorry. Uh, don't expect this to be a report that they are starting Shake or Al Horford or Furkan or whoever. It's just 
Why would a coach do that? So this is just us speculating. Do I not think... aggregate me. Okay. Oh, my windy. Okay, Windor. Yep. Yep. I think they're going to start shake, and I think that's what they should do. <clears throat> um, that's boring. I agree. That is. It is boring. I, I guess the question that they have to ask is when do you play Horford and Embiid together? Because, like, as much as Horford has struggled at times this year... He's as, not going to be a 10-minute-per-game player. No, he's way better than that. I mean, like, his and, worst and By the version, way, Shake, of, of all the people we'll talk about here in that role, Al Horford is still the best player. Sure. Like, by a mile. Yeah. But, you know, I think... You know, you go with the rotation that we see at the beginning of games. What does Embiid play? Five... Four minutes, five minutes, yep. and then he and uh, and Richardson come out. I don't know if they're going to continue to do that. I sh- I'd imagine they roughly do that again with Embiid while probably taking out his minutes. But, yeah, it's a thing where you start Horford on the bench and then you throw him into the game with Simmons. You're running the floor and playing fast. And the, uh, the second version of, of the team that Brown has talked about a lot this season. I guess the question is, when do you play, though, Embiid and Horford? And I, I guess my answer is against the uh, the backups, sort of like yeah. around the, the first quarter mark and, and early second quarter. That's the time I would try and do it. Obviously, that's a – hopefully you're playing against some worse competition so the offense doesn't take quite as much of a hit. Maybe Embiid would have a more favorable matchup. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I would go about it. And it's it's not a huge deal, I think, to uh, to start Milton because, like, I'm not sure I would close with him. I think that could be on, like, a situational basis. And Can maybe- you imagine, though, the first time that Brett closes with Horford and they struggle? The Twitter experience will be uh, something else. Good, good thing Brett's not on Twitter. Yep. Well, you're, you're right. And, man, do I miss fighting about Brett Brown with people instead of <laughs> wearing masks to go <laughs> pick up my food at the stores. I just want people to say fire bread after a January loss. Come on, man. I miss it. We we thought we had it bad before talking about Brett Brown and Ben Simmons jumpers. Yep. Well, hopefully we do get that. Are you, uh, this is a little bit off topic. If they are able to pull this off, that week of basketball in, uh, I guess that would be like the first week of August. It's just going to be basketball the entire day. Yeah. I, I think that yeah. could be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be awesome until we get a noon game, a, a noon game that's really important, too. Yeah. Um, I don't mind. I that. mean, not really important because it's the Sixers are clinched, but yeah, it'll, it'll be a, a summer league like atmosphere, atmosphere. You're the guy who complains about how late games go. No, it's true. That's true. That's true. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Get some juice an, for a 12 I'm o'clock an game. Old it's man, not like I'm way more awake at noon. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I just think it's like the first couple of days of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Which is always, I mean, it's always my favorite uh, days of the I, I remember having a, a, a real job when the tournament would come on and like I wasn't supposed to be watching basketball and I'd walk around with like a tablet and keep it on my desk and watch basketball and it was, it was the worst. I don't know how you people with real like, you know, adult jobs, I don't know how you, you navigate that. That first week, but yeah, that that would be a an apt comparison. It's always the worst when you were a kid too, and you were in school, like high school and younger elementary school, middle school, whatever, and you couldn't watch like 
you know, the first three hours of the day or whatever, because, you know, it was 12 to three starts. So yeah, right. I feel you on that. I was always mad when St. Joe's or Villanova had, had like a 12 o'clock game. It would always be over by that time. Yeah, no, but that's what the Sixers will be. And the good news, I guess, for everybody is that it'll be during the summer. And, you know, I'm sure everybody has real jobs now, but for the most part, those are, uh, those are taking place at home. home too, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think it could be pretty cool. What do you think about the idea of when you would play Horford and Embiid together? Yeah, well, I mean, against backups is a natural, but th- that's sort of like a period where the Sixers would bludgeon people a lot and, and just really go on a run and, and build up some of that lead. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not you do that with, I guess you would do that with Simmons off the court uh, with, with that staggered that way and maybe a, a little bit of a, you know, probably shake running the show at that point because he can, you know, he's a threat from the perimeter. It'll be interesting because... How about this as a, as, a, as a goofy idea? Yep. What if you don't stagger Simmons and Embiid? Just play them 38 mostly together? Mostly together. And look, I don't want to take too much from the West Coast trip. We just saw they uh, they shot unsustainably well. Wait, we just saw? Just? Well, Gosh, I, that was a lifetime ago. It's it's a liberal use of the word just. <laughs> But you I know, forgot they, that. I forgot that I was on that West Coast trip. I forgot it happened. Yeah, you made it back alive. I remember, like they were saying, uh, you know, Horford was like, "Man, it's good to be back from California," and that uh, yeah, that feels like a long time ago. Because considering we're in somewhat of a hot spot, not anymore uh, compared to the rest of the country, which is why we're talking about Orlando. I am going off topic now, but uh, they shot unsustainably well, and they went one for three or uh, one and three on that West Coast trip. But I don't know. For some reason, I like the idea of how Shake and Tobias and Jay Rich and I guess Jay Rich only played one game. Yeah, he got the concussion. And uh, and Horford look together. Do you just try and salvage those minutes and say, "Hey, we're we're set with you know our two alpha dogs for thirty eight minutes"? I mean, I, I would imagine Simmons if he's uh, if he's as healthy as the uh, the shirtless lifting pictures would suggest. We need. We, we, we need a reporter training. Um, we need a, a, we need to hire a professional photographer to go over to Rich's, Rich's house and take pictures of him working out and doing lunges and maybe a picture of you like very seriously looking at your, your laptop typing, like some kind of action I, shot. I like that Rich second one better. Yeah, that would be that would be funny. Like me. Uh, While flexing, of course. Yeah. Sure. Like maybe yeah. like pausing the television to... And- <laughs> rewinding whatever play was happening. I'm sure Alex Ubers would do it for me. I'm sure for a, <laughs> for a price, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think the idea of them, them playing together, maybe, maybe that's the, the solution and maybe Horford without both Simmons and Embiid, if he's healthy and he's the Boston Horford that we saw the past couple playoffs, maybe you tell him, Hey, here's your job. You need to carry this team for eight to 10 minutes. We are running it through you. We'll give you Tobias, obviously, but like, we need you to carry the team for these ten minutes. And if you can do that, we might be pretty well off because the other thirty-eight minutes we're going to be really good. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, Shake and, and Horford would be a, a pretty good two-man game, or at least a pretty good version, or a Sixers version of a pretty good two-man game. Not anything approaching what he had, you know, in Boston. Um, but considering what he had to start the season, I mean, Shake is as natural of a pick and roll playmaker as these Sixers have. You know, it is interesting. You talked about if they get playoff Al and sort of sort of like that average Al you saw in the middle of the regular season. 
what that time off means for him is, I think, you know, we, we spend so much time talking about Embiid and what that time that time off means. And we've seen with Simmons that he probably took advantage of that time off, not only just because of getting back from the nerve impingement in the lower back, but also getting himself in, into even better shape. Um, but what, what does that mean for Embiid? We spent a lot of time worried about that. You know, but Al, with the knee problems he was having and the soreness, and whether or not, you know, when we've said this a bunch, but he's always denied that that was a contributing factor in his struggles. But it did sort of line up with exactly when he started to struggle and turned into that quote-unquote average Al. So if they can get a, a playoff Al because of this layoff, that would be a, a pretty big boost. And does that mean that him and Embiid and Simmons could function more naturally together? I don't know about that. There's still a shooting and a floor spacing and a skill set concern that will make that tough, but maybe you can get 10 minutes where they don't look awful together. And also, like you said, in that time when maybe Embiid or even Embiid and Simmons are both out, he can, you know, look like a more reliable facilitator in the half court. And that would, that would certainly be big. I, th- I thought what was interesting was a couple, a couple weeks, a month, two months ago. I let, time is so weird right now. Say but just when, when Brett Brown had that zoom call, and he mentioned 38 minutes for Embiid, and it was like, ooh, that's that's very optimistic. Um, you know, last year in the second round of playoffs against Toronto, which I'm using the second round because it's a little closer and, and that's a little more representative maybe of, of what the goal would be. Yeah, you should. Embiid played 34 minutes per game. Simmons, 36 and a half. And that was in a, a pretty tight, although there were some blowout games in there, but that was a pretty tight series. 38's a lot. And that means Embiid will have had to have spent these three three plus months, four months when we finally get going, really on top of of his work, um, because that that's just that's a lot. Embiid does not play thirty eight minutes per game. That's a that's a big big number. Yes, it is, Brett. The uh, he said that he is working God, that's out. That's gonna be a four month. Oh, I'm sorry, it, it blows my mind that we we're gonna have a four and a half month layoff in the middle of the season, right before the playoffs. It's okay. After they're done, though, we'll have like a four-day layoff until <laughs> yeah. training camp. Yeah, Embiid said that he's been working out, what, six times a week? That's a lot. But I think me and you are on the same page here. Which, by the way, that's why you get that that question asked by a member of what was it, Sixers.com because there was no follow-up to that whatsoever. Just, yep, working out six days a week. Feel good. Okay, good. No concern then. Move on. Yeah, that's true. Although I don't like, I wouldn't rebut it. I would just be like, okay, like we'll see what it looks like. You know, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's true though. What you say does have some truth. I just, um, I'll believe it when I see it. I also think like, even outside of his tough time getting in tip top shape, this period, it's, probably harder than it's ever been for a professional athlete to stay in shape. So like, I'm not even blaming him necessarily or like pre blaming him necessarily for, uh, for potentially not being in shape. I think like the whole team is going to struggle to play heavy minutes. I wonder for these, uh, for these eight games now that they are getting a nice buildup here, they are getting a week in Philly and then three in Orlando before the games actually start. So maybe they will, be able to get up to full stamina. But I do wonder if the teams with a little more depth, which is not this team, will do a little bit better in those uh, in those seeding games. So talking about that depth, I guess that's a good transition to where we're going next with the rest of the rotation. You know, Brett probably end up settling on a nine or a 10-man rotation in the playoffs. Who sort of, like, I guess the way I would break it down are there's 
maybe a couple players you would expect to play almost every game off the bench, and then a couple who it might alternate based on how well they're playing, the matchups, what they need. How do you sort of see the bench minutes shaking out? Shaking out. It would work better if it wasn't our starter, but go ahead. I think, you know, I, I read your mailbag today. I'm only putting one person into the definitely is going to play every game, and that's Al Horford. They have, let me count this, one, two, three, four, five other guys who can realistically play. Yep. But I'm not counting on any of them that much. Like you said that Matisse like would be somebody who gets minutes every game um, at the beginning of the game. And I don't disagree with that. Like, I think they would like to play him. They have been trying to build up his minutes for most of the season to get him to that point. He has certainly shown that he can do it defensively. I just wonder if he has two games where he shoots one of eight from three that we just don't see him because what's up? Combined, because I honestly can't see him taking eight shots in a game. I'm saying combined, but okay, okay. When when you have that combined shooting, with the fact that he won't get those threes up, um, even if he's like semi open, I just wonder if Brett or the coaching staff in the heat of the moment would say, "All right, we're gonna go with Burks and Robinson now." It's, I mean, it's it's a very fair concern. Uh, I mean, he, you play four on five a lot when he's in the game. When it's limited to a half court game and when you're running an offense through Embiid, you cannot, like playing four on five, you're, you already have one player who won't shoot. And having another one who is, I mean, over his last 20 some games, he's shooting like 25% from three. And oh, by the way, that's pretty much all he did. That is going to be tough to navigate for sure. You know, I, I do hope that his defense is enough that specifically in those non-Embiid minutes when you have to get out in transition, that maybe that's where he gets to run. And the way I sort of phrased it was that I could see him playing every night, but how much, I don't know. Like he might get a 10 minute run and might be fourth in terms of minutes played on the bench, but he might get like his games played might be more consistent than his minutes played, but it's a, it's all a very fair concern. I mean, it's just, he, he, he doesn't do enough offensively right now. Yeah, and I think you you pointed out like getting further in the rotation. Your boy Burks, he uh, there might be less of a need for him if Shake is my boy. Yeah, it was sarcastic. <laughs> the first shot he takes in Orlando, <laughs> I, I can I can hear you screaming from from the house already. Um, we should be on the phone when that happens if we're not both there. Sure, I think. Uh, I think, yeah, there, there's a chance he might get pushed a little bit further back if Shake is you know, capable of being a backup point guard because then his skill set, it matters a little bit less and, and you can have a more well-rounded player in Shake. Like, I think Shake's awareness and what to do without the ball is, it's a little bit better. It's, you know, it's like the old, uh, Burks is the, the Bill Simmons, the irrational confidence guy, but <laughs> that, uh, that could shoot you out of a game from time to time. Yeah, I think, and then you have you have Robinson and Corkmaz, who I, I think it's clear to me that Cork has the higher ceiling, like those games against Memphis and Chicago where he caught fire. I mean, he was 
We were joking. He's the best player in the world, but he was so damn good in those games. That's, you know, that's an option, but I, th- I think Robinson is the more well-rounded player, and we saw him starting to play a little bit better towards the end of that West oh, Coast the, trip. The Golden State game where he had that big game? or Lakers, he had a good game, and I think he played decently against the, the Pistons when they, they came back, too. Um, um, all a blur. Yeah, but blur. I, I don't, I have no idea how that'll shake out, and I think the other guy we didn't mention is Mike Scott, who, you know, we've been pretty down on all season, but you know, I will say I might move him. I, he might be the seventh guy in my opinion, because I, we've just seen him hold up in a playoff setting. And I know he does not give you really anything if those shots aren't going in, but I do think, you know, even if he does (laughs) blow rotations from time to time, he doesn't exactly move the ball quickly. He's not afraid in a playoff setting. And I think there is something to be said for that and and a veteran player at that as well. So I, I would probably move him up to the seventh spot just because I don't know, I, I kind of see that situation like coaches, you know, they, they go with the the more experienced player a lot. And the more and more basketball I watch, I do see why in some cases you would play it safe, although if you if Mike I, Scott is playing it safe, it's right. Like, uh, kind of a dicey problem. I just wish Mike Scott actually played like a more experienced player and then I would have a much less reservation. Look, I think I think Scott the bar that he has to clear to get minutes in the playoffs is less than, you know, a lot of other people. And like what we're talking about here, like he is not a good defender. And I think that's been one of my biggest disappointments since they acquired him last year. But he's a better defender than Furkan Korkmaz and he has more of a chance in the playoffs than Korkmaz does of defending his man and he does still have gravity on the perimeter even if he has been very inconsistent throughout the season. That's so important, especially when you're talking about that second unit with Embiid, that, uh, yeah, I could I could see him being one of the more consistently used bench players among this group. Yep. That about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably about it. Like, you would, you would think Glenn Robinson is more likely than Furkan? Or yeah. how do you see those two shake out? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Korkmaz is so tough to gauge. Like, he's just... I have. I just have so much concern that he's just going to get run off the floor. Yeah, and his highs are, are so high, but his lows are just... It's completely unplayable in a way that... I think if Robinson is able to uh, have his role explained to him, I guess, <laughs> he... Uh, you think they've had, they've had a Zoom call with him here over the last three months where they've let him know, hey, stand in the fucking corner, shoot, and defend. I think he'll get that, and he'll get a little bit better. At that and make the occasional cut. Yeah, I think his his floor is is a little bit higher. I will say though, like he's he was very disappointing since he came over. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's, and I like I I like Cork. I like what he can do off the ball. I like the attention he draws when he has it going. But yeah, those those lows. I mean, you could you can lose a playoff series with those lows. All right, I think that's probably a good enough place to. Ime Udoka, you got yep. any thoughts on that? I mean. Look, he came here. I don't think the defense... It's interesting. And there was some report that they could hire him before the before play resumes, right? The Bulls? And that would be the second consecutive year the Sixers basically lost their defensive coordinator heading into a playoff run, um, which seems weird, but it has... And look, Ime has not been hired yet, so this is hypothetical, but that would be weird if that came to be. Was Billy Lang around for the playoffs last year? No, he was gone, right? No, it was Jim O'Brien. 
Yeah. yeah, he moved in. Yeah, no, they they he had to go to run his program. Yeah, um, I, I don't think he would need to do that in the NBA. Like you would again. I don't have any reporting on this, but right. What what the hell is Chicago doing right now? Yeah, seriously, like uh, Eversley and Karnasovas. Like you you can handle the Zoom calls over there, man. Like I think <laughs> I think he'll be okay to come back when the uh, when the season ends. But yeah, I think he's somebody who when he was hired here. It was clear he was making a move for, I think, A, a little bit more money, but also he looked at Monty Williams and he looked at Lloyd Pierce and Billy Lang as well. You know, Brett Brown staff has they've been uh they've been on fire a little bit when it comes to you know, moving up to the head coaching position. So and he was somebody who was gonna be ticketed for that anyway when you yeah, spend was, that much time with Greg Popovich. But I do think it was telling, like that Greg Popovich and him came to the understanding like, yeah, you should probably go to Philly. I think that'll be the best thing for you. Um, and that's, you know, that's partially because where the, where the Spurs are as an organization, it's, it's lower, they're lower than they've been for, for quite a while, honestly. But uh, he's somebody who, you know, he, he certainly seems to have respect. He's, he's a guy who it seems like he gets along with the players. Um, do you, I guess my question to you would be, do you think there's any chance that the Sixers might want to hire him if this goes wrong? I mean, he certainly has that kind of reputation around the league where he would be one of the candidates. He does. You understand why, I mean, we talked about this when he was hired, but you understand why Chicago would have an interest in him. It is probably telling that Eversley, who was just here with him, spent some time with him, and is now the GM there, is linked to him. And depending on how the Sixers felt over what they've seen from him over the course of this year, you know, that could, you know, like if he made a strong impression, sure. He could certainly be, I mean, he, he's he got the pedigree to be on that candidate uh, on, on the list of candidates. And if he, if he's made an impression, then yeah, I mean, he would, he would, he would be on the list. Um, you know, I think a lot of times it would be interesting because he is, you know, sometimes you just want to clear house. Yeah. But he was here for such a short amount of time that, is he even really part of the Brett Brown quote unquote tree part of the program? Like would the players associate him with it? Would that be getting a fresh start? I don't, I don't know. And do we, um, do we know they want to clear house because they, they in the past, don't, they don't really want to clear house at least to the players. No, the uh, ownership and front off. I mean, they, they had a chance to clear house with the front office recently. And Oh, they certainly don't want, I, well, I mean, through this point, they haven't wanted to with the front office. Yeah. Not to say that it hasn't changed. This isn't like a different scenario. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, yeah. like, They've built a pretty big operation here, and their their mo in the past has been, yeah, let's make like one tweak at the top and and see how that works with the uh, infrastructure we have built outside of it. I think uh, the one selling point for Udoka, and I, I don't, you know, I think in a lot of ways it's uh, it's a little early to be talking about this, but on the other hand, like, what the hell else are we talking about? I do think a big part if they were to make a move on Brown, a big part would be trying to find somebody who Simmons and Embiid will listen to and trust. And I think that's a smaller list of coaches than you think. Like, I'm not saying like those two, you know, if like coach X would come in, those guys would just tune them out automatically. I just think they, they, they might factor in like a a level of, of gravitas or, 
I don't even know if I use that word correctly, but just like a, a level of respect. And, and even though Yudoka would be a first year coach, you know, depending on what has happened behind the scenes this year, he might be able to have that in a way that you're able to hire kind of a new guy, but also make the selling point that he's experienced with your players as well. Can I, can I just say though, if you're going to make a change in the coaching staff, here's my one, my one piece of advice. Have a real freaking search, like a real legitimate, like we searched throughout the league. We looked over everyone and we arrived at the best person. Don't go to your advisor's son. Don't go to, you know, the, the GM that you've had on staff for a couple of months. Do a real legit earnest search and arrive at the best person. Not the one you're most comfortable with. Not the one you think you might have sway over. The real, not the one who will take your your parameters of who he's allowed to keep on his staff or not. A real, legit coach. Search through the league. Find someone who fits your philosophy. And find someone who you truly believe in. Not necessarily just someone you feel like you can sell. Because I, it just seems like when the last two times have come up, this ownership group has not really seemed like they have much interest in doing that. And um, I think they need to. I think that's a fair ask. It doesn't seem like it should be too much, but I don't know. Hasn't always happened, though. All right. I think that's a good place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. Also, reminder, go follow Mike O'Connor at M O'Connor underscore NBA on Twitter. Thank you.